Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This is our season one wrap-up show. There's going to be no new content here. It's going to be me talking and me saying things other people said to me. That's about it, with some book reviews going over sources. Because this show is only casually academic in nature, but I feel like... You need to know the sources that I looked into to make this podcast. It's good to give them credit as authors, and it's good for you to know what I looked at so you can judge me and judge the information accordingly. But before we get to that, I would like to give you folks a chance to have a voice on the show. Of course, it's going to be using my voice, but that's, you know, it's not a perfect system. But listen, I'm going to read the reviews, the comments, anything that has been publicly shared with me that people would want right on the air. I've gotten a lot of private correspondence through our Facebook page and our Twitter page. It's all been lovely, but, you know, that was between me and them, and I don't need to share it out here. That was, I I respect their privacy. The first thing I'm going to turn to are the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Apparently, that's a very important thing in the podcasting world, and the reviews and ratings on there are very important. So go there and give me a five-star rating. You can do that right now. You could pause this, actually. You just hit pause. You don't have to listen to my voice. Go there, put five stars. If you want to put anything less than five stars, what you actually have to do is write down your review and how terrible I am. You roll it up on a piece of paper, roll it up real tight. Then you put it into a bottle and you throw that bottle into the Atlantic Ocean. And then Apple Podcasts will come by with a barge and they pick up all the four star or less reviews. And then they go through the process of typing them up by hand and putting them online. That's the fastest way to do that. Right now on Apple Podcasts, we have a 4.8 rating. I'd say that's pretty good. And we have six written reviews. They're all five-star reviews. The earliest of which is from a user named Pepid. It's entitled, Great American History Not Covered in Class. I've been looking for a podcast on Native Americans that talked about them as humans versus naive angels or brutal savages. Takes an informational, informational, informative approach to pre American history. Thank you, Pepid. What Pepid is referring to is in in the world of history, you have this noble savage myth. And then you have this cannibal savage myth. Both of them are wrong. Both are characterizations and what today we would call stereotype about Native Americans or First Nations people, American Indians, whatever, what, what have you. So first, the noble savage myth is that like in Dances with Wolves, Pocahontas, the movie Avatar, you have this native people who are morally right and they're in tune with nature and everything they do has good altruistic reasons behind it, but they're technologically inferior to another group that rolls in. And that ties into a white savior myth. This is when a mythical, usually white creature comes in and saves the day. So in Pocahontas, John Smith, in Avatar, guy who's in a wheelchair, I don't know his name, I'm not a big fan of Avatar. Don't judge me for it. But he comes in and he rallies the Avatar guys together when he's in his Avatar body. It's the noble savage. The Last Samurai, Tom Cruise. The idea being, yes, these people are morally superior. They're in tune with nature. But I bring some sort of Western Caucasian gusto. And it's all bullshit. Again, it's it's a literary device to complete a story. So those are the good tropes in history. Uh, and then the bad ones, of course, are the cannibalistic savage uh, stereotype where the natives were just these wild people who roamed the woods. And a lot of early sources from people who didn't bother to get to know the natives, that's how they saw them as this basically animals 
living in a human form that are somewhat lesser than Western humans. We know this to be wrong. And then a more recent and very popular stereotype is, of course, instead of the white savior, you have the, the white demon myth. That's what I'm calling it. I'm sure there's an official name for it, but that's what I'm calling it. So the white demon myth basically being like, the white man rolled in and he ruined the perfect paradise that we lived in. Which is certainly true, a good number of times, but there are plenty of exceptions. And this this show wants to focus on a lot of those exceptions. And altogether, all four of these stereotypes can be found inside of history. But when you use all four of these to interpret history, you get a very inaccurate view. Imagine if you just walked around Walmart today and you had to point at people and say, white savior, white devil, noble savage, noble cannibal. Imagine if those were the only four categories you could use to categorize all of human history and all, all all humanity, every being on this planet who is a homo sapien. You would have a very narrow and inaccurate view of the world. And that's been another focus of this podcast is just how complicated reality actually is. And how much history can fall between the cracks when you have to sit in a classroom for 40 minutes a day. And there's a test at the end of the year. Anyway, I'm done rambling on that point. Next review is from Trip Trip. The host is great. And so is the delivery of the content. Short and sweet. I love it. Just like me, I'm kind of short and sweet. And if I don't shower, I'm a little short, sweet, and sour. Next review is from Segro. Interesting concept. Superb execution. Great podcast for the program's are interweaving the stories of the Iroquois and New Netherland in the Northeast USA. It presents a great deal of content without getting slow. Thank you. I am a middle school social studies teacher. And so I know what the attention span of a child is. And I want to make content that maybe not a middle schooler would enjoy, but certainly a 15-year-old or older. I want to cast a wide net here. And I know when things get really boring, because I myself have an extremely short attention span. I'm getting bored even finishing this. Our next review is from Stu Nims. Great podcast. Really floored that this is only rated 4.5 on Apple Podcasts. Does not make sense to me. Well, thank you, Stu Nims, because now it's rated at 4.8 somehow. So I don't know how they do it, but there you go. Next one is from Phil Kearney. Simply fascinating. This is one of the best podcasts out there. You'll learn so much in an enjoyable way that you'll be anxious for new episodes. Also, this is the history presented in a fact-based, not moralistic way, treating people of the 17th century as residents of their own time rather than our own. This is refreshing. History as it should be taught. Can't wait for the future seasons. New France, Spanish America, New England. Yes, please. Good Lord. This guy, he, he, he... he has, has correctly surmised where I'm going with this show. We'll get to that in a couple minutes. But I did not think I was that predictable, but I guess I am. Yes, it's become popular nowadays to judge characters in the past by our morals and mores and standards of today, which you can do. You can judge. I, I'm not going to judge you for judging them. You can do that all day. But it doesn't really matter to the guy who's been dead for 300 years. You can call him genocidal maniac, uh, misogynist. You can call him whatever you want. He's dead. He doesn't care. It's also very easily done. You don't need a high school, middle school social studies teacher in order to tell you that Genghis Khan was probably a bad guy by today's standards. You can do that all your own. What I'm here for is to try to fish out how did that person look by their standards of the day? How did that person, how would other people of their time and their culture perceive them? I find that more interesting 
and it's something you can play around with, be creative with, and you can debate with people. Because again, you, you would say, well, yes, of course, mid-Atlantic slave traders were terrible people. Book closed. That's the end of that conversation. But if you want to talk about whether or not Peter Stuyvesant was a moral person, well, that's, that's awfully deep, especially if you're going to use their standards of morality. And even defining who they are for Peter Stuyvesant would be a challenge. Are we talking about Dutch folks? Are we talking about people who are members of the Dutch Reformed Church? Are we talking about residents of New Netherland? There's lots of choices. You can spend a whole day discussing whether or not Peter Stuyvesant was a moral person. Or you could just say, by today's standard, he was a slave owner and he was a piece of shit. Well, there you go. Show's over. Debate's over. Don't need to talk about that. Of course, it's true. It just doesn't provide entertainment for you. And the last review we have up here is from Abe Rosenfeld. Excellent podcast presents an aspect of history you don't often hear about in a concise and informative manner. First of all, I read more fluidly than this. I'm wearing contacts that I ordered overseas because I'm a nut job and they're not quite the right prescription. And I'm finding that out painfully as I'm recording this. Thank you, Abe Rosenfeld. Again, the whole point of this show is to give you something different. Stuff you didn't learn in school, but actually happened. Stuff that might be in your backyard, your local community. You know, within an hour drive of you. It might That might be part of your family history and you're not even aware of it. Because in school, they focused, rightfully so, more on constitutional things. Once you get to the higher grades in social studies. Which makes sense. You should know how your government works. That is it for Apple Podcast Reviews. Six. Six in one season. That's not bad. Especially for a, you know, schlub like me. So I also opened up the Facebook page for comments. Uh, one specific post saying, if you post here, I'll read it on the air. Uh, we got a comment again from Stu Nims. He says, Stu in Wisconsin. Absolutely love the show. I grew up next to the Mohegan and Oneida tribes and have enjoyed learning a bit more about their history. Thank you, Stu. And you have a wonderful beard. I've been trying to grow a beard for I don't, I don't know how long. Every year, I don't shave for about 20 days. And then I start to look a little homelessy. And then my wife threatens divorce. I get depressed. I shave the beard. Year after year, I do this. And every year, I get sadder and sadder. And now the hair is actually starting to turn gray. So so believe it or not, I'm going gray before I can grow a legitimate man beard. It's depressing. I just have this little thing on my chin here. So, Stu, thanks for the support and lovely beard. Our next comment is from Joel Baldwin. Huge fan down here in Maryland. My wife is from the Hudson Valley. And we travel to the Albany, Saratoga area nearly every summer. Would love to hear about the German immigration to the Susquehanna Valley, as I have PA Dutch roots. Well, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to bring up the fact once again that I am done with New Netherland. I did probably about 20 hours of content on the colony of New Netherland. And I'm done. And trust me, I have received some hate mail about me being done with the subject. And guys, I totally get it. And so I'm going to go into a little bit of my history here. I mean, you decided to listen to the episode, so you might as well find out a little bit more about me. I grew up in Schenectady, New York. My father's family, pure Lithuanian, more recent immigrants. My mother's side of the family, her father was an orphan, didn't know the story there. Her mother, old Dutch roots, founders of Schenectady, characters in the stories I've told. They've been around a very long time. My mother, because she didn't have that father's side of the family to have any sort of ethnic cultural connection with, any sort of shared 
culture at all. He was a Schenectady orphan. That's all he knew. And so her mother's side, being Dutch, was her real source of pride. And as a child, she would say, the Dutch were here before the English were here. The Dutch were over here pretty much as early as the pilgrims. She would say these things. She was very proud of her heritage. She'd point out Dutch signs where things were named after Dutch families, Dutch people, towns that had their original namesake in the Netherlands. For her, this is all the family background she had. And she passed that down to me as something that is important. And it's something that we shared. It's my connection to her and it's my connection to our shared past. And now that I think about it, it probably wasn't a coincidence that I started doing the research for this podcast right around the time that she passed away. And originally, this entire podcast was going to be a New Netherland podcast. But this country has so much more to explore. The history is so rich, so different, so diverse. And frankly, New Netherland is a subject I have to leave for my own personal reasons. I'm done with it. It's part of my past. It's always going to be there. I'm always going to be interested in it. It's part of me. But I have to move forward as a uh, social studies teacher, you know, with degrees in history and education and whatnot. I tend to dwell on the past. I dwell in the things that I've had to let go. And uh, this is something, the beginning of me turning it around. I, I got to start looking forward. And so season one, I kept a foot in the past. And now it's time to step forward and move on. So I'm personally done with New Netherland. Now you, go off, make wonderful podcasts about New Netherland for years and years. I'll, I'll help you out even. I still love the subject, but I have to move on. So to turn to happier things, if you liked the Iroquois Confederacy portion of this season, they're going to continue for a very long time. And so not next season, because we're going to move around a little bit, but they're going to keep popping into this story. And I'm going to follow the Iroquois Confederacy as far up as I possibly can. I might even get into uh, Kanawaki and Akwesasne today. All right. So the new challenge to myself moving forward with this podcast is to tell the history of the United States well, without ever focusing on any of those states. So the 50 states that make up our great union, I'm not going to focus on any of them in particular. I might focus on the Texas Republic. I might focus on the Vermont Republic, the Kingdom of Hawaii, but I'm not going to do an episode on this is Massachusetts and this is what Massachusetts is all about. I might talk about Ligonia. I might talk about the very first province of Maine. I might talk about East and West Jersey. So the challenge for me is to tell the story of our great country without ever talking, without ever actually talking about uh, the states of our great country. And so next season will be on New France, and maybe the season after. i got to see how it unfolds. But New France was a huge colonial possession that covered a massive chunk of the modern-day United States. Far larger in territory than New Sweden or New Netherland ever was. And if you go from the time of Jacques Cartier all the way up to Montcalm to the retreat back to the city off of the Plains of Abraham by the French forces signaling the beginning of the end of the greater New France. We're talking about a span of time that goes from, you know, roughly the 1530s until the 1760s. So, 230-ish years? Yes, New France is an other state of America, which you might associate with Canadian history, and rightfully so. But 
us Americans play a big part in this story, too. And with New France, we'll talk about French Florida. Quite the soap opera and Shakespearean tragedy there. French Florida, look forward to that. And one more personal note before we move into the books that help make up this podcast. I started making this podcast during the COVID crisis. And I was working at a school district, untenured teacher, social studies I taught. Uh, last year I taught 7th grade, 8th grade, 11th grade, and some 10th graders. I was all over the place because it was a very small school. Well, I was an untenured teacher in an overstaffed department during the COVID crisis. Basically, anyone untenured in my district got the axe, including myself. I was laid off. We all were. Fortunately, I'm pretty amazing. (laughs) And I uh, immediately had some opportunities open to me. I had three. Two were as social studies teachers. And one was actually as a special ed teacher, which I'm also certified in. Now, of course, I love social studies. That's my favorite subject. But that special education job was in a financially stable district, for which I now know is an important consideration, run by some fine folks who I agree with on a lot of pedagogical issues, was a shorter, more scenic drive, and paid better. And so I went with the special education job. Now, in my current position, I do push into a social studies classroom, but I am a sped teacher, as we say. I'm still a New York State certified social studies teacher, but I want to be honest with you, and right now I'm actually a working special education teacher. And honestly, right now I love it. So I'm normally not the confessional type. I don't let, like people know in my business, my emotion. you know, I'm, I'm a closed off, sheltered, stoic individual. I'm like the dude in the American Gothic painting. So I'm done talking about me. I'm going to move on to my sources. So I'm going to move over to my Goodreads, where I kept track of all the books as I read them. And I'm going to run through them. Now, I'm just going to talk about the books, because if I use specific papers, I usually mention the author right there in the podcast. And normally, if I use very specific theories or new information that only one author had, I also provided that. So I think inside of each podcast episode, I probably did enough of telling you where I got this information to suffice. And this is all kind of just extra in case I missed the finer points. So first of all, one really great podcast, if you like New Netherland history and you want to continue down that road, is Russell Shorto's, he wrote Island at the Center of the World, Russell Shorto's New Netherland Prachis, where he sits down one-on-one and he talks to archaeologists, famous historians, linguists, uh, Charles Gehring, the guy in charge of the New Netherland Institute, big important guys and gals who I could never dream of getting on this show. And who I just read their books. I don't know them. I, don't, I wouldn't even know how to get a hold of them. So check that out if you really want to get into more minute detail on New Netherland. That's exactly where you need to go. Especially if you want it in audio format. For the Iroquois, the Iroquois Myth and Legends podcast. This is a great podcast. It's done by a couple dudes out in like Western New York. I don't actually know too many details about it. But I really enjoy listening to it. And it's a lot of stories. Less history, more stories than my podcast. You might find it very interesting. All right, here we go. Some of these sources I'm going to bring up again in future seasons because they're overlapping. A good primary source, I guess you could call it a primary source, is by Codwallader Cadwalladaller Colden. He was the former lieutenant governor of the colony of New York. We're talking mid-18th century. And he wrote a book called The History of the Five Nations, depending on the province of New York in America. 
And it's one of the very earliest sources we have from Europeans describing the inner workings of the Iroquois Confederacy. He gets a lot wrong, but it's important to know what Europeans knew at the time about the Iroquois. And as it turns out, not very much. This guy might have been one of the most knowledgeable, and he still gets a lot of stuff wrong. Iroquois People of the Longhouse by Johnson Michael. I gave it a four-star review. It's a good source. I think at this point it's a little dated, but I don't see that I left a, a worded review. Usually if I really hate something, I'll leave some words there to remind myself why I hate it. But it's a standard source. In fact, I remember seeing the cover of this book for years and years. So it's been around. People seem to like it. Check it out if you'd like. The next book is by linguist Nikolai Vandersij. I hope I'm saying that right, Nikolai. It's called Cookies, Coastlaw, and Stoops. And actually, I think you can find this book for free. Somebody was distributing it for free, legally, too. And it's about the the Dutch heritage of American English, the words that have made it through. And I used it a lot and referenced it a lot in the last episode on New Netherland, about New, ne- New Netherland legacy. So this is actually probably the very last book I read on New Netherland. It's very accessible. If you're not a historian, not a linguist, not, you know, you're not in any of those fields, it's almost as, as accessible as I am. Not a lot of jargon. If you're interested in the actual words... And you want to see how, you know, if you're from the Hudson River Valley, Mohawk River Valley, you're from down in Jersey, and you're kind of interested on how your accent came about, how the interesting words you use came together, it's a good source to check out. And it might be the the best researched source on the Dutch legacy in our language that is available to the everyday reader like us, as opposed to something in an academic journal meant for a, a graduate student, for instance. Next one was very important, and I'm going to be using this for seasons to come. It is the Encyclopedia of the Haudenosaunee by Bruce Elliott Johansson. I believe that's how you say your name. I'm sorry if I get this stuff wrong. I'm a simple man, and I own a microphone. This, was, this, this book is amazing. If you have very specific questions about the Haudenosaunee and how it works, and you just can't find it in other sources... Even the internet, you're emailing tribes and they're not getting back to you. Trust me, I've been down that road. The Encyclopedia of the Haudenosaunee is likely to have that answer. It's incredibly in-depth. I I, I love the book. Uh, It came out a a couple years ago. I would love it if they updated it. I don't know if this guy's still around or not, but wonderful source. It's not a casual read because it is an encyclopedia. So if you're a nerd like me, you will enjoy that book. Next source was Rise of the Dutch Republic. I didn't leave a rating. And it looks like it says currently reading, so I probably didn't even finish this book. But I just need to be open with you and tell you where I got information from. So there might be something in there that slipped into the podcast. I probably would have uh, referenced the author of that information when I brought it up at the time. Next source, Peter Stuyvesant, the last Dutch governor of New Amsterdam, Amsterdam, New Amsterdam, by John C.S. Abbott, it looks like. I gave it a five-star review, and I'm not quite sure why, because my memory of it, it's quite dated. First of all, they, they call it the Dutch governor of New Amsterdam. Of course, he was the governor of far more than that. But I gave it a five-star review. So I'm guessing... All right, uh, I remember this now. I, you, you be patient with me. This is one of the f- earliest biographies of Peter Stuyvesant that didn't depict him as like an old curmudgeon Dutch pirate. An actual human and not like a cartoon character. So that's probably why I gave it five stars. Okay, Religion in New Netherland by Frederick J. Zwierlein. This was a very good book, and this actually was one of the last ones I've read, and I don't know why I didn't read it sooner. I just probably couldn't get my hands on it. It's it's long. It's very in-depth. It is not a casual read. It is meant for people who study these things. 
So don't pick this up thinking you're going to read it on a beach. It is dense, and it is very good. Very well researched. Looks like I gave it five stars. Uh, Invading Paradise is the next book. The Espis, or Esopus Settlers, at War with the Natives. This is by Andrew Brink. I think he was a lawyer and judge at one point. He's not a historian, but he was able to go through documents and comb through things that, honestly, a lot of historians would just be bored by and flesh out a real story there. I gave it four stars out of five because some of the conclusions that I mentioned in the episode about uh, Schenectady and Espis, some of his conclusions, I feel, were a little far-reaching. depending Because there were so few sources for him to come to certain conclusions about the Espis settlers committing genocide, for instance, which I think requires intent, uh, are a little, a little far-fetched, I feel. You can feel differently. That's fine. We're allowed to disagree. Next book, American Nations, A History of the Eleven... Rival Regional Cultures of North America by Colin Woodward. I Woodard. I picked this up. This is one of the last ones I read also. He's a journalist, and this is a problem we see uh, that people who are involved in history, or even the lowest rung of history, of course, would be history teachers. When journalists decide to write history books, they're really bad at it. You know why? Because they're not historians. It just makes sense. Would you want a biology textbook written by a journalist? Would you want a medical textbook written by a plumber? Would you want a plumbing textbook written by a doctor? It just doesn't work. It really doesn't. I mean, there are a few people out there who are journalists who write wonderful histories. But you go back and you find out they actually, you know, majored in history as an undergrad. This guy, it's a bad book. So, American Nations, A History of the Eleven Rival Regional Cultures of North America. It's not good. I thought it would be an update on Albion Seed, which is a fantastic book by David Fisher, I believe. But, uh... Whew, this one's a real stinker. Yeah, it's an armchair, armchair read. It's meant for, you know, normal folks who aren't nerds and have big heads. But boy, does it show. Stinky, little inaccurate, don't want to talk about it anymore. It's making me sad. All right, next one. The Pinkster King and the King of the Congo. The Forgotten History of America's Dutch-Owned Slaves by Jerome de Wolf. I believe that's how you say his name. You'll find an interview with him on Russell Shorto's podcast. Very knowledgeable. He is the expert in... Dutch-owned slaves in the United States. He's the number one guy. In this book, not an armchair read. Again, this is meant for people who are very interested, who are in who are in degree programs, who are pursuing history. Jerome argues in there, as I mentioned in the episode on slavery, that among other, among other arguments he had in there, but the, the one really unique one to him is that the slaves that were being brought over to New Netherlands were from different sources in different areas originally than the slaves that ended up in English colonies later on. And that these slaves, because they had this Iberian background, being enslaved in the Spanish and Portuguese Empire, that they may have had a brotherhood system. And they used this brotherhood system to attain their freedom from the Dutch through playing the Dutch's own... The Dutch... Dutches. God. I'm such an idiot today. The words just aren't coming out. By playing the games the Dutch put in front of them, making them very happy and able to persuade the Dutch to set them free. It's a compelling argument, but as he says in there, there's, you know, there's no evidence yet to nail that down, to put a, you know, final word in about it. But very promising. I gave it a five-star review. Guy's a great scholar. Can't say anything bad about that. All right, got to go through here. Oh, the minutes of the Orphan Masters of New Amsterdam, 1655 to 1663. I gave this a four-star review. This is a primary source. It's literally the minutes from 400 years ago. You're not going to enjoy reading it unless you're an egghead. Moving on. 
Oh, wonderful book. Lovely book. I gave away most of my books. Sometimes on the Facebook page, I throw... You should like the Facebook page, by the way. I put up free books. People, you know, I send them off because media mail is super cheap. You can send books for cheap. Uh, Your fire shall burn no more. Iroquois policy towards New France and its native allies to 1701. Sounds boring. And it is boring. Again, this is an academic book. You're not supposed to be reading this on the beach in Florida watching your kids. You're supposed to be reading this when you're in your dorm room and your dorm mate is out getting laid somewhere and you're sitting inside with cystic acne. This is the type of book you should be reading. It's by Jose Antonio Brandau, I believe is how you say that name. I'm going to mention him again because he's, he's in a couple sources. Book is wonderful. He categorizes in both qualitative and quantitative uh, tables every single known Iroquois conflict over like a 85-year period. It's, it's, it's an insane feat. It's a wonderful book. Like, I, I can't say enough about this guy. This guy's wonderful. I love you. I love you, Jose Antonio Brandau. Yes, I said it. Moving on. Uh, History of the Dutch-speaking peoples, 1555 to 1648. This is by Peter Gale, I believe is how you say his name. You'll find his name everywhere when you talk about Dutch history. As far as the stuff that gets translated into English, he's the preeminent scholar on Dutch history. Uh, and, and that trickles over in a little bit into New Netherland history, which is why I, I read it. I read just a lot of stuff. And so Peter Gale, I believe he passed away a couple years ago. But again, he's a juggernaut. Juggernaut. Okay, next one. Holland, the history of the Netherlands by Thomas Coley Grattan. This was a more popular read. Very accessible. It was short. And now we're going back quite a ways here. So I'm trying to remember all the little bits and pieces here. It was short. It was accessible. Um, I'm not sure I even finished it, though. I I think um, the works of Peter Gale kind of eclipsed what was going on in that book. So nothing against the author, but I don't even think I rated it. So I'm not going to judge it now. Okay. The description of the province of new Sweden by Thomas Campanius home. I'm going to use this source in uh, future seasons too. It's, it's, it's pretty much a primary source. uh, Although he was writing after the time of new Sweden. And it's just me understanding the general history, how, how people in, Maybe the 18th century understood their 17th century history and roots. It's a good book. I'll use it again. But I don't have anything else to say about that. Next one. A Man and His Shit. 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 I said A Man and His Shit. Are you serious? A Man and His Ship. Peter Minuet and the Kalmar Nickel by C.A. Wesslinger. Wonderful book. As far as full-length biographies about Peter Stuyvesant, this is it. And honestly, it only takes up a portion of the book because the last quarter of it, at least, is about just that ship and not the man himself. But this guy, C.A. Westlager, I got yelled at for saying his name wrong. I think I said Westlager. Westlager. C.A. Westlager. Fantastic. As far as writing about histories of New Sweden, this is the guy, right? So I'm always going to the preeminent scholar. This is the one for New uh, New Sweden. And he, he, he died a while back, but he's got books on New Sweden. He's got books on Peter Stuyvesant. I believe he has a book on Swanendiel as well. I don't know. Moving on. Next book is Swanendiel. Swanendiel in New Netherland. The Early History of Delaware's Oldest Settlement at Luz by William J. Cohen. I gave it a five-star review. Honestly, right now, I can't remember a thing about it. But you know I used it as a source, so I covered my ass. All right, moving on. Peltries or Plantations, The Economic Policies of the Dutch West India Company in New Netherlands, 1623 to 1629. This one is by Bachman van Cleef. 
amazing name, by the way. This guy, he passed away uh, quite a while ago. But he was a scholar kind of at the opening of New New Netherland research. As far as, oh, yeah, that was something that happened into like, oh, no, this is a really serious thing. We should really learn about this. We should foster knowledge about this. We should let the general world know about this great colony of New Netherland. He was kind of right there, I'm guessing, early 20th century. And five-star review. It's an economic historian point of view, I believe. Uh, very well researched. Uh, extremely boring to the casual reader. It, it's definitely one for the eggheads. Okay, moving on. I know I'm rambling. Honestly, you can just stop watching this episode or listening to this episode. This is a cover-your-ass episode, all right? These are the endnotes. You don't read the endnotes in a book unless you're going to look to do further research. You don't have to listen to this. So if I'm boring you, just go away. I don't care. Oh, well, leave a five-star review first, but then go away. All right, next one. Oh, New Sweden, The Dream of an Empire by Algat Matson. It's a good book. It's a popular book. Big, gray, skinny. Got lots of pictures. You, you could, uh, a high schooler would understand it. Middle schooler would have a little bit of difficulty fully comprehending what's going on in the book. It's a popular read. Uh, came out quite a few years ago. I gave it a four-star review. I don't know what I found wrong with it, but there it is. So, as I remember, you know, it doesn't go into a terrible lot of detail because it stays rather general. All right, New Sweden on the, Del- on the Delaware, 1638 to 1655. Again, C.A. Wesselger. Great guy. Here it is, or Westlager. I don't know how to say your name, dude. Okay? Get a hold of me. Let me know. New Sweden on the Delaware. This is a great book. Uh, the book I just mentioned before it is like an abbreviated uh, version of this book. And this book, I believe, was made for some uh, anniversary celebration of New Sweden. But it's fantastic. The depth is exactly where you need it to be if you're writing a undergrad paper on New Sweden. This is the book you want to go to. came out quite a few years ago. It's still very accurate. Very well-reviewed. I give it a five-star review. Next book I actually got for free when I went down to uh, the New York State Museum for a teacher thing back when I was a social studies teacher. They just handed it to me. It's like a $60 nice thick book about the archaeology around Albany and the native Dutch relations. It's, it's called Before Albany, an archaeology of the native Dutch relations in the capital region, 1660 to 1654. It's put out by James Bradley, who also spoke that day. So it was really wonderful. I got the book, got to, got to see the man talk, and I gave it a five-star review. It's wonderful. It has all the depth you need, but it's also kind of glossy and has lots of pictures, so you don't get terribly bored. So it's fairly academic, and yet there's something there that's just kind of lovely and pleasant to read. So there you go. Next one. Explorers, Fortunes, and Love Letters. A Window on New Netherland. This is put out by the New Netherland Institute. 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 An insider. The whole book is many little papers written by the preeminent scholars on New Netherland. It's a wonderful book. For some reason, I gave it a four-star review. Not sure why. I think the copy I had was like moldy. It smelled weird. But uh, the words, the words are a five-star review. It's a lovely book, not a casual read. It's meant for academic types. It's put out by the New Netherland Institute, like I said. Please check out their website. You can get lost in there. They have tons of stuff there now. They're digitizing all this old stuff. Peter Stuyvesant's handwritten documents. They're there. You can see them with their translations. Wonderful, wonderful organization. Highly recommended. Okay, I'm just skipping through all these other books I read that had nothing to do with anything. The Iroquois Book of Rights by Horatio Hale. Written in the uh, late 19th century, I believe. I only gave it a two-star review. Uh, I It wasn't so bad that I wrote some scathing review. 
there was something about it that just didn't jive with me. Didn't seem to line up with earlier sources. I think it's a bit dated. There's far better scholarship now on the subject. Check out uh, Fenton. Look up Iroquois and then the last name Fenton. Anything by him is fantastic. The next one is Narratives of New Netherland. Oh, here we go. This one's wonderful. Narratives of New Netherland, 1609 to 1664 by John Franklin Jameson. This book, wonderful. It's the Bible for New Netherland primary sources. Okay, so before the New Netherland Institute came around, this was a collection of pretty much everything they had on New Netherland, aside from receipts and uh, treaties, things like that. The actual personal documents of people recounting stories and experiences and memories. This was it. This was the Bible for people interested in New Netherland history. And in there, you'll find like, uh, you'll find you'll find Adrian Vanderdonk in there, I believe. You will find things written by Stuyvesant, things written by Van Twiller, Peter Minuet. You will find Vander Bogart in there. One of the earliest uh, translations of his Journey into Mohawk Country. That's where it comes from. Great source. Pick it up. Use copy. It's 120 years old. It's a great book. Okay, next one. Moving on. Oh my god, I read a bunch of Star Trek books. Why did I do that? About half of them were good. Anyway, moving on. The Shame and the Sorrow. The Dutch-American Encounters in New Netherland. dutch Amer indian Encounters, sorry. By Donna Merwick. I did, not, I did not review this one very highly. For a couple reasons. And she's out there, so I could get some backlash for this. Because she's around. I know she knows more about New Netherland than I could ever dream of. But I felt like this book was an essay that was expanded out to a book. Like, what she said in it could have been done in about a quarter of the space. And then some of the conclusions she makes about the intentions of the Dutch. She admits that the the sources are scant. But um, I think she reaches some conclusions that there really isn't any evidence for, at least as of yet. She could be right, but she didn't really give me the goods. And so, I don't know. She probably knows better than me. What the hell do I know? All right, next one. Cultivating a Landscape of Peace. I gave this a four-star review. It's a book on Iroquois relations. It's wonderful. It, it, it is working on um, what's going on inside of the League more than a lot of our primary documents, which are English or Dutch-based, going like, what are those Iroquois doing over there? In this, Dennis is... Matthew Dennis or Dennis Matthew? I don't know. It's one or the other. He's more or less trying to understand how the Iroquois function outwardly instead of looking from... I can't even explain this. It's a good book. I gave it four stars out of five. I'm moving on. Holland on the Hudson. An Economic and Social History of the Dutch in New York by Oliver A. Rink. Fabulous book. I gave it four stars out of five. This was kind of like the island at the center of the world, you know, before that book came out. So it's just a lovely overview of New Netherland. Can't go wrong reading it. It's right on the edge between academic and casual as far as the type of reader that might enjoy it. Archaeology of the Iroquois. Selected readings and research sources. Fantastic. Again, a collection of smaller papers by scholars. And it mostly has to deal with... A a lot of this I use for the origin of the Iroquois. What what does the archaeological record say? What do the Native Americans say? Fantastic book. Very expensive. I gave it away. I should have sold it. If you find a copy of it, go ahead and read it. And then go ahead and sell it and get your money back. All right, next one. Charting the Sea of Darkness. The Four Voyages of Henry Hudson. Now we're getting back to the beginning of the season here. Gave it a five-star review. This one is really good. I think they actually include the primary sources in it, which was very helpful for me. That's what I remember from it. Roots of the Iroquois. 
by Tina Torrens. I, I'm going to mess up that name. I'm going to mess up every name. Now, this, this was a uh, child's book, more or less. And sometimes I'll read children's books because I want to know what children know. Because oftentimes, especially when it comes to Native Americans, the last time, sadly, a lot of Americans learn about Native Americans is in, a, in elementary school. It's, it's early on. Maybe middle school. Then in high school, things kind of gear towards constitutional issues and we move on. But early Native American history is primarily taught at a very young age, which means that it's very censored, very watered down, very simple. And so I, I want to know what the general American knows about Native Americans. So I'll read children's books. There you go. I've been outed. Um, I didn't rate it very good just because it, it is inaccurate because it's it's geared towards children. So take take with that what you will. Next one, Economics economics of the Iroquois by Sarah Henry Stites. I believe this was turn of the century, 20th century, that is, 19th into 20th century. Didn't review it very well. It mostly relied on earlier sources like uh, Lewis Henry Morgan. And a lot of her own field work was actually among Huron Wyandotte groups, things like that. Didn't apply to the Haudenosaunee, although she thought it did. And maybe it does in some ways. But I found that her original research was not very original. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Because she's dead. And, you know, why insult the dead? Okay, next one. Half Moon, Henry Hudson, and the voyage that redrew the map of the world. Lovely name. By Douglas Hunter. I gave it a five-star review. Read it so long ago now. I can't tell you specifically why it was awesome. I think this book made me kind of fall in love with the story of Henry Hudson. You know, the, him, him trying to sail over the top of the world, the North Pole. All these things that he did that seemed crazy. It really explained it uh, point by point how, how the man was very well researched, very well intentioned. He wasn't crazy. He wasn't stupid. He was the exact opposite. It's just, you know, we had less information back then. Didn't have Google Maps. All right. Stubborn for Liberty, The Dutch in New York by Alice P. Keeney. I think this came out in the 70s. Give it a five-star review. It was a good book. Um, today, people would say it was dated, but it's definitely an armchair book, not an academic. You know, you don't you don't need to be uh, in an upper division college course to uh, crack it open. You'll enjoy it. Go ahead and read that if you can find it. Okay, but again, a little dated for the time now. All right, New York Beginnings, The Commercial Origins of New Netherland by Thomas J. Condon. Excellent book, five-star review. Again, this one is not a popular read. You're going to want to be an egghead in order to enjoy it. All right, next one. I've moved on to some primary sources here. I read various different versions of Harmon Meandert's Vander Bogart's Into Mohawk Country to make my Into Mohawk Country episode. I read, uh, there was a version in the 90s. I've read versions from the 1890s and before that. And uh, the newest one came out just a couple years ago. It's an updated version. Peter Gehring had a lot to do with it. And it's lovely. Any version you pick up will be great. In fact, there is a... Oh, this is great for your kids out there. If Especially if you're a descendant of Harmon van der Bogart, which I am, and probably millions of people are. There is a graphic novel out on Into Mohawk Country. It takes the primary source, you know, translated into English, and it puts some graphics behind it, and it's lovely. It's a lovely short read. Kids would enjoy it, and it's history. So check that out if you want. I read the Iroquois Constitution. I have that down. Don't need to talk about that. You know, primary source. It is what it is. Lovely the way it is. All right. Fur, Fortune, and Empire. The Epic History of the Fur Trade. I use this book for this season, and I'm going to use it for future seasons. Focuses really specifically. It's by uh, Eric J. Dolan. Really specifically on the ins and outs of the fur trade. 
And so it doesn't get into the empire building aspect that a lot of historians from the 19th century on like to focus on. It's more of about the nuts and bolts in the business of the Native Americans and the Europeans and how they interacted. Lovely book. You can read it even if you're not an egghead. Go for it. Next one, Wars of the Iroquois, A Study in Intertribal Trade Relations by George T. Hunt. This is an old standard from way back in the day, 20th century, uh, I think the 50s. George T. Hunt, just wonderful source for the time. You might think it's a little dated now, but I love the book. Not a uh, not an armchair read, though. Got to be an egghead. Moving on. Iroquois Diplomacy on the Early American Frontier. This is a fairly new book. I gave it a five-star review. It's by Timothy J. Shannon. It's lovely. In fact, I still have it here because I'm going to be using it in future seasons. Now, this is right on the edge because it's... It is an academic book. You're going to have to have some background on the subject in order to fully enjoy it. And yet, there's a brevity to it, and it's just written in such a nice style where, you know, if you listen to every episode of this podcast, you can get through that book pretty quickly. It's, it's, it's an enjoyable read. So, great author, don't know the guy, would like to know the guy. Moving on. Birch Bark Brigade, a fur trade history. Very similar to the last fur trading book. I gave this one a five-star review also. This one's an armchair read. It's lovely. Check it out. If you're interested in the hides of animals. All right, let's keep going through here. A bunch of weird books I read has nothing to do with the podcast. Do, 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 do. A bunch of books I read to the kids. Uh, it's not important. Okay, here we go. League of the Iroquois. Very. This this book is, is, is groundbreaking. Came out in the early to mid 19th century. League of the Iroquois by Louis Henry Morgan. Louis. Lewis Henry Morgan. This guy is one of the founders of anthropology. Historians and anthropologists don't get along. We just don't speak the same language at the end of the day. But this guy was right there in the beginning. And he just loved the Iroquois. And he studied them and wrote books about them as if they weren't savages or something lesser than themselves or people who needed to be converted or changed or whatnot. He just loved everything about them. And that's his biggest flaw. It's because he, he kind of saw them as noble savages. He kind of fed into that myth. He was part of actually creating that myth or perpetuating it. So it's a wonderful source. I give it a five-star review. It's, it's a, an academic read, and yet there's huge portions you can just read to enjoy. Lovely book. Pick it up if you see it. It's a little idealistic, a little utopian. Okay, It's a little unrealistic for the reality of who the Iroquois were. But it treats them with very kind eyes. So check it out if you can find it. All right, next one. Religion and Trade in New Netherlands, Dutch Origins and American Development by George L. Proctor Smith. Gave it a five-star review. Uh, read it now. Oh, wow. Looks like three years ago. Don't remember a damn thing about it, but I gave it five stars. But this is definitely an academic read, not a casual one. Oh, and then, of course, way back in time here, I read Island at the Center of the World, the epic story of the Dutch man. The Epic Story of Dutch Manhattan and the Forgotten Colony that Shaped America. Russell Shorto. Again, I, I already suggested his podcast. This book just cracked open New Netherland for a lot of people. People love this book. I gave it a five-star review. Me, I'm a simple man. I like more explosions. In his book, he gets into a lot of a lot about Adrian Vanderdonk, who was a lawyer, and uh, you know, shaping self-government in the middle colonies, things like that. A lot of egghead stuff that, uh, you know, I like when things blow up, people get stabbed. So, I gave it five stars, but uh, would have liked to see more people get tortured and murdered. That's what I'm into, so that's where I am with that. That's my own issue. 
Five stars nonetheless. Okay, next book, The Low Countries, A History by Anthony Bailey. The Low Countries refer to the, the Benelux countries, so the Netherlands, uh, Belgium, Luxembourg. This is great general background for the beginning of our New Netherland episodes where I talked about Old Netherland. So that, that was just a general history to read. It's a, it's a uh, popular book. You don't uh, don't need to be an egghead for that one. I'm sorry to keep saying egghead, but I'll find a synonym sooner or later. Next one, Myths of the Iroquois. Give it a two-star review. It's by Ermine Eel Smith, I believe. And I think she was an anthropologist in the late 19th century. And I think the print I had of it was actually published and put out by an Iroquois group. But it's very dated. Very dated. Very condescending to the Iroquois, I remember. And at this point, we know it was kind of inaccurate. So I didn't really get anything out of that book. That book didn't do much for me. Yeah, for some reason, I gave it two stars instead of one. So there was something endearing in there. That's one you could skip. Don't read that one. Okay, another book I read, and I didn't really use any of it, because early on, I just read everything. I wasn't sure of my exact direction, is uh, No Word for Time, The Way of the Algonquin People by Evan T. Pritchard, who, who, who himself, I believe was, or is, he's alive still, a Micmac or Abenaki? Micmac or Abenaki? I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea what the guy's background is, but he belongs to these Algonquian groups, or Algonquian groups. Uh, and No Word for Time is a Bible of sorts about the Algonquin worldview today and in the past, their rituals and their general spiritual life. It was a lovely book. I have lots of notes left over from it because I took lots of notes. I just didn't use it this season, so it might show up again. Gave that a five-star review. It was wonderful. Okay, next one was a children's book, The Jews of New Amsterdam. I gave it a five-star review. This was one of those rare uh, children's books that is simple for a child and yet does not simplify to the point of being inaccurate. I find this a lot in sources that are meant for children where they'll make something so simple they'll actually create a lie because they've simplified the truth to the point that it's inaccurate. Again, I'm being redundant. But The Jews of New Amsterdam was a pretty good book for children who'd be interested in Jewish history in the United States. It's lovely. So, again, I read children's books sometimes. Uh, The Algonquin of New York by David M. Ostriker. Read this again way back in 2018. Gave it five stars. Don't remember a damn thing about it. Okay, next one. Moving on. The Mohawk. This was meant for children, too. It's by Nancy Bonvillian. Bonvillian? Really? Your last name is Bonvillian? That's amazing. All right, the book is called The Mohawk, and it's by Nancy Bonvillian. What an amazing name. And I actually gave it five stars. Don't remember the book. Love your last name. All right, moving on. Uh, Let's see what else I got here. A lot of sci-fi. I went through a period where I was reading a lot by the author Stephen Baxter. His, his newer, newer stuff is good. The last 20 years, his really old stuff, it's it's just, it's so hard sci-fi, you have to be a robot in order to understand it and, and appreciate it to its fullest. And I am no robot. And believe it or not, that is it. And so hopefully I've given you a good overview of all the sources, tedious as they were, that went into making this season of the podcast. Other things I left out were a lot of primary sources that I just found online. So the the account of Verrazano or again Henry Hudson's accounts, which I went and I found other trans other other translations. Jeez. I found other versions of it. And then uh primary New York State court documents. The Albany oh here we go. 
Albany court minutes or for uh, for orange court minutes. I've read those just stacks and stacks of primary sources. I mentioned them in the episode, so there's no point in being redundant now. If you made it to this far into this rambling mess of a podcast, I congratulate you. You're, you're in the top 1%. I fully expect the stats for this episode to just look like a, a ski cliff that's just falling straight off after an avalanche or something. So I'm really happy that you're here at the end. I appreciate it. Please leave a review. Like us on Facebook. Like us on Twitter. I have a Twitter. I have no idea what Twitter is. I have no idea. I'm on there. I'm clueless. There's only a couple fans. I don't know what tweets are. I don't understand. I don't understand how to get anything going on there. But our Facebook page has a lot of fans on it. Like the Facebook page. Support us. Uh, do reviews. You know, in fact, Anchor has like a thing. You hit a button and you can actually give me money. So, you know, I haven't begged for money yet. Go ahead and give me money. I will take your money. I don't have a lot of money, so it's not like I'm going to spend it on frivolous things. I got all the toys I want. I'm going to spend it on, like, you know, food. Give me money, please. I could use your money. I'll give some money to my wife. She's a lovely lady. She's a better human than I am. She deserves the money. I'll give it right to her if you want. You specify. Give me money. You know, if you give me enough money, I might just send something to you. I got lots of crap around here that you might like. I'll find something. I'll put it in a box. I'll send it to you. I know how to use the post office. I'm a big boy. But if you're a poor starving teacher like me and you don't have any money, just support the podcast. Share it around. Put it up on your Facebook wall. Say, hey, hey, I listen to this thing. You should listen to it too. I would greatly appreciate it. And so I'd like to thank everyone who corresponded with me through the Facebook page privately. Again, not going to share your stuff here because that was a private conversation. Lots of folks there. I appreciate hearing every bit of it. Um, I would like to argue with more people. I love arguing. So hate mail, send it to me. I want to hear it. I'm waiting for it. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for combat. I want to see your hate. I want to see your criticisms. I want to see your corrections because I want to know where I'm wrong. And so once again, I'm a special ed teacher right now. Believe it or not, it's IEP writing season. I'm going to be swamped for a couple weeks, but season two is not going to be that far away. I promise. But first I got to learn French. Not going to get into that. Anyway, this has been the other States of America history podcast. I'm Eric Giannis. Thank you for listening to this season. Thank you for listening to all my rambling. Get your pets spayed or neutered. Help control the pet population. Goodbye.